But we are here this morning, that's enough business, we are here this morning to worship our Lord. And I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. One of the ones in front of you is the same as what I have, uh, ESV, and open it to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and what I'd like to do is we're going to read this together. Uh, I'll read the first verse, you, uh, the odd verses. You guys read the even verses together. And, and maybe in reverence to God's Word, why don't we just stand up and acknowledge Him as the one who is the King of Kings. And actually this is entitled, The King of Glory, a Psalm of David. Psalm 24, I'll read the odd verses. As a congregation, you read the even ones. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your heads, O gates, let them lift up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. Hey, let's read 7, 8, 9, and 10 again. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Lift up your head, O gaze, let lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. So if I asked you who is the King of glory, what would your response be? Who is the King of glory? He is the King of glory. Amen. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We acknowledge the truth of your word, but even Beyond that, we acknowledge you as the King of glory who has given us your word. And we want to lift up our heads and our hearts that we may hear from you this morning. Um, different people coming in with different weights of life, different situations in life. And we recognize you as the one to turn to for the answers, for the comfort, for the conviction, for the repentance, for whatever it is that we need to do to respond to you. Have your way in this worship service, we pray. We ask that your Holy Spirit would have absolute freedom from now all the way through the end with everything. Speaking, singing, silence, our hearts, our response, your will be done is what we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, Super Church kids, you guys can go ahead and stand up and take off. And as they do that, I want to invite you to grab a Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. We just sang about a good and gracious king, a glorious God 
a holy God. And I'll be honest with <clears throat> well, I'll be honest with you. I have struggled with this message because it is intensely difficult. Uh, it's not a fairy tale, and everybody, everyone on the planet, save eight people and all of the animals, except those that were included in the ark, die. And God takes their life. And he still is a good and gracious king. He is glorious and he's holy. And it was because sin had become so sinful and evil so prevalent that he said, I'm going to destroy the earth and start over with Noah's family. I've struggled with this one. Three or four months, three or four months, three or four weeks, probably a little bit longer, actually. It's been a few weeks, though, since we've been in Genesis, so because of the holidays and things. So I went back and listened to our last two messages from Genesis chapter 6. One was about the evil of mankind being so evil, so bad, that God said he regretted that he had made mankind, would blot out man from the face of the land, but that Noah found favor in, his, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, we talked about God and who he is in that message, some of his attributes, uh, his unchangeableness, and yet that with sinful man, sometimes he changes his activities in order, really, so that he doesn't change his character. Um, so the second message was from Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, which stated that Noah walked with God, And aren't we glad that that's the case? Um, That's the biblical testimony that God has given us about Noah. He was a regular person, just like you and I, um, put his pants on the same way we do, uh, but he was declared righteous by God's standard. We recognize from Hebrews chapter 11 that his was a faith relationship as well. So he's just a regular, normal person. Um, That's the that's the testimony God gives about him. As we mentioned several times as we worked our way through Genesis 6, how evil it was, how the norm for mankind, especially in these last days also, is evil. And we don't have to go too far or listen to too much news to discern that. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 12 says that a mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That was true in Paul's day. How much more true in 2024 A mystery of lawlessness is already at work until the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, and then literally uh, there will be no no parameters. Um, It's interesting to think about some of the parallels of the early days of Scripture, especially the Noah story, and how they're similar to some of the days that we live in. Um, my, my declaration, prisons are overflowing. They're letting people out um, who have done uh, horrible crimes. Pride abounds. Mankind lies. Um, stealing happens. Cheating. Immorality or seeking to redefine morality. And we could go on and on and on. Second Peter describes it this way. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Now, what did we send the super church kids out for? We, <laughs> when, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, 
swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people. So we can see a parallel in the day that Noah walked where God said, I'm going to destroy uh, all but what enters the ark and the days that we live in and there will be another destruction. There is going to be another judgment. It won't be by water uh, the next time. Just as evil was working in Noah's day and in our day, God was at work in Noah's day and he is working his plan in our day as well. So we don't have to stand in despair. Uh, we, get a, we don't deny the reality of evil, um, but we recognize that God is at work and he is working his plan and we are intensely thankful for that. Um, he extended favor to Noah, Noah being the 10th generation from Adam. We went backwards and saw that. The first word from God to Noah we find in Genesis chapter 6 verse 13 where God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The specifics of the ark were given in Genesis chapter 6, verse 14 and following. What God was going to do is told to Noah in chapter 6, verse 17, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. All flesh would include mankind, the birds, the animals, the creeping things of the ground. Evidently, sin had even passed to them, and that's where, and that's where God said, I will destroy all flesh, uh, even uh, everything that has breath in, breath in it. And then in Genesis chapter 7, we have the day of reckoning, and that's today's message. The day of reckoning has come. Do you remember the game of life? You all still play life? Where you spin the you spin the dial and you decide, am I going to go to college? And you end up getting a better payday if you go to college, or you just work and you get and you get a little bit more money a little bit earlier because you're working hard. And you go through all the ups and downs of life, and you move your car, and you get your spouse, and you add your kids, and and then at the very end is the day of reckoning. And you get certain things for the day of reckoning. How much for how much, what kind of a job you had. You get to sell your kids off. Hey, isn't that, you sell your kids off and get a little bit of money for them. That one's not true, okay? Uh, but that's the day of reckoning. Well, the day of reckoning has come in Genesis chapter 7. Um, when did this happen? When God informed Noah in Genesis chapter 6, he mentioned his sons and their wives, verse 18, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 32, this is just kind of how my brain chronologically works through things. In Genesis 5, verse 32, it says, After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so this began after Noah was 500 years old. We can't put a very specific date on it, but we can say between 500 and 600. And so that's how long he had that he was working on this ark. Uh, then the flood came when he was 600 years old. We learn that from verse 11, chapter 7. When it was time to enter the ark, all three sons and their wives are present, chapter 7, verse 13. And so it had happened within that 100 years from 500 to 600. The first announcement we find in chapter 6, verse 13, the final announcement for instruction and preparation is what we have in the first portion of chapter 7, verse 1. Let's read that together. Then the Lord said to Noah... Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So it's time for the flood to come, 
And God says to Noah, a hundred years later, uh, God says to Noah, go into the ark. Um, I've seen that you're righteous before me. And his righteousness is clarified just to help us a little bit with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, where it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverence for in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household so his relationship with god was a faith based relationship just as your and my relationship with god is um, god recognized that because of the faith that he had that he functioned in a righteous manner not a perfect man we're going to see that in chapter 9 as well um, but before I go any further, I, I want us to realize that we've been given a final announcement for preparation also. We find in verse 1 of chapter 7, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And he's getting ready to open the waters of the deep and open the waters from above as well and flood the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's giving him this last minute, this is what you, I want you to do this week. This is the last seven days. We've been given also a final announcement for preparation, though we don't get a seven-day announcement. But listen to what Jesus said to his disciples towards the end of his ministry, after his death, after his resurrection, before his ascension. Watch, therefore, for you did not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his household to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming again. Mark it down. Go to the bank. going to happen it's scripture, it's truth, it's in many places in scripture. And Jesus is saying, we need to be watching. So who's watching? I mean, we watch our videos on our phones. We watch our podcasts. We watch the news. Are we watching for Jesus' coming? Let me skip forward really quickly to the very end of this message because I have something that I want to read and it fits very well here as well. But as, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We've been given a final warning also. Now Noah was given a seven-day warning. We don't have a seven-day warning. What we have is a word from our Lord that says, you watch, you listen. The trumpet's going to sound. I am going to come again. So we need to watch and listen, take to heart uh, that warning that was given to us by our Lord. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. Verse 2, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. The fish he didn't take because they were going to be fine. They were in water. The birds could have lived outside of the water for a little while until the water covered everything on the earth, and then they would have nowhere to perch, no food to get, and so he was to take birds as well. For in seven days, verse 4, in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. That is intense. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. 
Every living thing could also be translated what it means, all that grows up, all that is in existence. Everything that breathes the breath of life that walks on this planet, I will blot out. He was told to take a specific number of clean animals, seven, male and female, we'll see in a minute. There he just said mate, we'll see male and female in a minute. And a specific number of unclean animals also, male and female, he was to take a pair. What is interesting is that we don't know what a clean and an unclean animal is at this time. See, he didn't have Leviticus. He didn't have Moses' law yet that described the animals that were clean, the animals that were unclean. And we don't have any word that God had given to Noah that these animals are clean and these animals are unclean. There's speculation. Would the domestic animals be the clean? We don't know. Um, But he was told to separate the clean from the unclean, and and he did that evidently in a way that was pleasing uh, unto the Lord. In seven days I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Blot out means to wipe out, to destroy, to completely wash off. Do you remember why? Do you remember why God is going to blot out everything that breathes breath that hasn't entered the ark? Chapter 6, verse 12. For all flesh has corrupted their way on the earth, even the animals, men as well. The thoughts and intents of their heart was always only evil continually are the words that are used to describe it. For all flesh has corrupted their way on the earth. I've determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The timing, verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. So somewhere between having kids at 500, think think about that one, uh, you that are 60 and 70 having a baby. Uh, So somewhere at having kids at 500 and at 600 um, when God was giving him this word, uh, he built an ark. So it took, it was quite the project. Noah was 600 years old when the flood and waters came upon the earth. Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him went into the ark and escaped the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded. After, and after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. So God was in, in uh, consistency with his character, um, very specific. This is going to begin in seven days. Seven days later, Noah goes in the ark. What we're going to find is God shuts the door and the, and the floods begin to happen. Noah listened to God, he and all who were with him, listen to this, Noah listened to God, he and all who were with him were willing to leave their earthly, I'm used to this kind of a lifestyle belonging in order to enter into an ark that God had given them, the people that they knew, in order to be obedient to God, listen, in the unseen, in the things that he hadn't experienced in the things that he had been told by God, but he required a faith response of, I'm going to believe that what you're saying is true. I don't understand this, but I'm willing to do this. Not just him, but Mrs. Noah and the three boys and Mrs. Boys' wives as well. All right, They were all willing to do that. If the flood would have been local, and I'm just going to inject some things in here from time to time. If the flood would have been local only and not universal, the complete destruction of the animals would not have been at risk. 
all they would have done, all they would have needed to do is to take them from place A over to place B, wherever place B was going to be, and the animals would have survived. We're going to find more proof, specifically textual proof, that indicate that it was a universal flood as well. But he was instructed to take them into the ark to keep their offspring alive, chapter 7, verse 3. We're going to find even stronger language that tells us it was universal. People have tried to unprove God's word in about everything that it states. That shouldn't surprise us. In Noah's day, they would have been saying something like, why build an ark? What is rain? What are you doing? He was willing to obey God in the unseen, even though it went contrary to the norm for the day. The time had finally come, verses 11 through 16. Let's read that together. After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. God's very specific on when this happened, isn't he? Verse 12, rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, all the livestock according to their kinds, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, every winged creature They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And so the picture is they're supposed to take seven pairs of the the clean. So two by two, they went in, seven different groups of them. All right. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there, there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The time had finally come. A very specific time, the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month on the 17th day of the month, seven days after God gave Noah the final preparation notification, a very specific method of judgment. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. We're going to say a word about that. A very specific people were spared Saved even, after everyone and every animal that was to enter had entered, God shut them in. You know, I was thinking, I come, back, I come from the 60s, and in the 60s, and I'm sure it's probably true today as well, but in the 60s, we had this thing of if we could just kind of pull away as a commune. If we could pull away from society and get, get away from government and get away from parents and get away from authority, we could just share all things in common and everything would just be wonderful. They had the perfect commune situation. There were only eight of them. If it was ever always going to be wonderful, it would be with Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. But we're going to read chapter 9, not not this week, all right? And it doesn't work out that way either, all right? How the flood happened is discussed in commentaries and by scientists, both by Christian scientists and non-believing scientists, some who even acknowledge a flood, at least of some, at least of some level. Was it miraculous or was it God using nature to act according to his will? And they like to kind of go back and forth on how it happened. I don't know how it happened. What I know is there was a flood. 
I'm thankful for people that are a lot smarter than I am, and there are some, and if you're inclined to learn about those things, I'm going to recommend a couple of books here in just a minute um, that you could get a little bit more intense in what you learn. But on that day, verse 11, the, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I thought it'd be interesting and profitable if we go back and read about the second day of creation from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6 says this, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And so we see these waters above, these waters below, and he says, let there be an expanse in here. And then he goes on to call that heaven, not the heaven where we spend eternity, but the heaven like the skies, our, our earth and the skies. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so and God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day so when we read that he opened the fountains of the great deep it didn't just rain from above the windows were open and the water came drenching down it also came up from below and so it was the earth being plummeted with water from below and from above for 40 days every minute of every hour of every day for 40 days, all right? It's also significant, I think, that we see what it says in Colossians about our Lord. Our Lord, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus, all who, who created and, are all, and holds all things together, all he had to do was say, flood it, and that thing is going to flood. The waters from below are going to come up, the waters from above are going to come down, and that's what we find happening. There are specifics that you might want to look into if you choose to do that. For me, God might have used the natural um, to work his perfect timing seven days from now after he talked to Noah. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. It's more than I can understand, to be quite frank with you. Or he might have used the supernatural. The one who holds all things together might have said, let it begin and the bursts of water begin. And the windows of heaven were open and both sources flooded the earth with an unimaginable force of water for 40 days and 40 nights that covered all of the mountains up to 18 cubits. And we'll read that. You remember what a cubit was? It kind of goes from here to here, which is 18 inches or 20 inches. And it was 18 or is 20 inches, about 20 of, of those above those mountains. He could do that. After all, he spoke all things into existence in chapter in, uh, uh, earlier. A donkey spoke to Balaam in Numbers 22. Donkeys don't speak English or Hebrew or whatever it was that he spoke at that time. Sarah was beyond childbearing age, and she was able to get pregnant and birth Isaiah. Jesus saw Nathanael under a juniper tree before the actual event happened because he's all-knowing. He rose from the grave. He transferred his righteousness to Jerry when I believed that he died on the cross for me and to you as well. He's a miracle-working God. He's going to exchange our earthly bodies for heavenly ones. I believe it. I don't even care how he does it. I'm not saying it's not important. I just already believe it. 
I don't think Noah knew how God was going to destroy the earth, even though it had something to do with water because he was building an ark. He hadn't seen it before, but he believed it. And he did what he did, and because of it, he was considered righteousness. For me to believe God did this, it's not difficult. It's very easy. But it's sobering to think that God took the life of everything that breathed on the earth except for the eight and the animals that were in the ark. That's how evil it had become. That's how holy he is. If I were seeking to disprove the Bible or God, this would be a good place to focus my attention. And there are many who seek to focus their attention on disproving God and the flood. And those that deny the flood, those that want to claim that the flood was uh, uh, local only, but I'm not interested in doing that. I believe by the grace of God, just as Noah did, just as I hope that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And it's the goodness and the grace of God. There is the seen and there is the unseen. Listen to this. Clearly it needs to be truth-filled unseen. We look not, Paul said, to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'm not saying science isn't important or that it's unimportant. Actually, if you're given to considering the proofs of the universal flood, I want to recommend a book to you. This is called the Creation Museum book. It's a great place to start, and I would especially start in the place where it says flood geology, and that's on page 114, and I can send that to you if you want. I have two copies of this. They're on the front pew. You're, you're welcome to help yourself to these and peruse through them and then bring them back so somebody else can do it. However, we've got 14 or 15, maybe more copies floating around our church because all of the teenagers that went to the Ark Adventure got a copy of these also. Um, and so you're welcome to take a look at those. You're welcome to do that. Where did I go? There are other individuals that you could read if you're interested in some of the details that are faith-based. Arthur Pink, Henry Morris. Uh, I thought of another one. Dwayne Gish is another one. Ken Ham and all of the resources that he has as well if you want to get into the scientific aspect of it. But Scripture says that it happened, and I believe it. Verse 13. On the very same day... Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the, three wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and I want to talk about what a kind is. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life, and those that entered, male and female, of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. We're not told if Noah had to go out and corral these animals or not. That would have been an overwhelming task might have happened. He had three strapping young boys and a hundred years to do it. So I guess you could build an ark and gather animals in a hundred years. I don't know. We're not told if that happened or if God just brought them. Um, it just says they, uh, all of the species according to their kind, went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And I wanted to say something to us about the number of animals, and I'm bringing to this 
from Ken Ham, who is an Australian man who's done an incredible work. Page 28. And this is what it says. Imagine the earth as it was before the flood. Guided in pairs, thousands of creatures uh, flood into the ark. There are perhaps millions of species worldwide, but only select representatives of each land-dependent, air-breathing kind are sent. And he says approximately, how's this for an approximate number? 6,744, approximately, uh, animals assembled inside. Most are small, young, and easily kept. These chosen animals will establish their kind in the new world. And the idea is that a kind, it would be the canine kind, or the ape kind, or the reptile kind. And he didn't need a Pomeranian and a Great Dane and a lab. He just needed two, or actually brought seven, from the canine, uh, seven pairs, from the canine kind with the DNA capability of being able to reproduce in a miraculous God-given way as well. And so he mentions that. Let me read. I wanted to read one other thing. What is an animal kind? An animal kind, or a baramin, from the Hebrew word created and kind, is a group of related animals not related to any other animal. The study of created kinds is called baraminology. And so the idea is that a bird kind is not related to a dog kind. So they needed the seven pairs of clean bird kinds. The dog kind is different, and so they needed the seven pairs of dog kinds. The dog kind is not related to the horse kind. The horse kind is not related to the ape kind. And if you're interested in seeing the different kinds uh, that he likes to present, uh, I want to invite you to uh, take one of these books as well. They went into the ark, verse 15, with Noah, two and two, all of the flesh, all of all flesh in which there was a breath of life, and those that enter, male and female of all flesh, went in with as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut the door. I don't know if Noah didn't think of hinges. Uh, They did have metal back in that day. Uh, Or if he didn't have a pulley to be able to pull the door closed, who knows? But it says the Lord shut him in. God graced Noah. In chapter 6, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God protected Noah from his judgment in chapter 7, verse 16, the Lord shut him in. And I find that very true of us as well. We're not Noah. I understand we're not Noah. We're not in his situation. I get that. But if you know him, he has graced you and he has protected you as well. If you're born, if you're genuinely born again, you are genuinely born again and he has given you the down payment of eternity by the Holy Spirit that he, that he has given us to dwell within us. What's interesting to think about is God's words to Noah, but also Noah's response to God's word. God said, build an ark. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. God said, fill it with animals according to the different kinds. Noah prepared food and living spaces for all the animals and either went and got them or guided them into the ark because God had brought them to him. It was God who spoke. It was Noah's faith response to do all that the Lord commanded. So we find both working in orchestra, God being sovereign and the creator and the one who speaks, but we find Noah, the one who's declared righteous, as in faith being 
obedient to his Lord. If if God saving Noah is likened unto salvation in Christ, and it is in several places and by many commentators, God protecting Noah from his judgment could be likened to a rapture prior to when he pours out his judgment to uh, uh, to finish transgression and to make an end to sin, according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Now the flood, verse 17, was on the earth for 40 days. The waters increased, lifted up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. The waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. That would be the textual proof that it was a universal flood. All of the high hills under the whole of heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upwards, and the mountains were covered. Verse 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. And that's why I have a hard time. This one did pretty good. This one is kind of medium. And this one is just a party on the ark. The ark was not a party. Everything that was breathing died. That's sobering. And and Noah would have known many people who died. And thinking, we want to say innocent animals, but evidently they weren't either because they had become violent also because of sin that had come into the earth. We have to be careful. I get Bible stories with our kids. I get that. That's good. That's a good thing. We want to make sure they're truth-filled Bible stories. And can I suggest from a pastor's heart that a story Bible is a story book, not a Bible. You need to really be careful. It's a, it's a book that has stories about the Bible, but the Bible is the Bible. We don't need to dumb down God's Word. Amen. We don't need to do that. Amen. We need to raise up our children, Amen. not dumb down His Word. Okay, that's enough of that soapbox. But it is. <laughs> And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he, so he, God, destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the last verse is, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And I want to finish with this point, and it's not all that quick, but it's not all that long. God's judgment and wrath upon evil compared with his grace and his goodness. Genesis 7.21 is one of the most sobering passages in Scripture. It is not a fairy tale. It is absolute truth. It's not cute book material. Noah and his family surely thanked God for his favor. Likely they mourned the death of others they knew and the life that they lived and probably liked and enjoyed to some level. 
Everything that was on the face of the earth, verse 23, died. Verse 22 says, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, whose, whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died, verse 23. So he destroyed all living things. Very sobering, very sobering. We don't get to pick and choose what we enjoy about God and focus on that. And honestly, I see a lot of that in the conservative, genuine church today. We pick and choose what we like and focus on that. We don't get to do that. Genesis 7 is in there also. That would result in an unbiblical, skewed view of him. And it concerns me these days. He is righteous, completely righteous. He's the righteous judge, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to this. When the Lord Jesus, this is still future. This is what we're watching for. This is our seven-day warning. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction, that would be hell, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, and he continues on. And note that his final judgment is based on what a person has done with Jesus Christ and the gospel. It isn't how religious I am. We talked about that in the Next Steps class this morning. It's what have I done with Jesus? And is it just in my brain or is it like Noah's that I believe God and I'm going to do what it is that he tells me to do? That's a picture of genuine faith. And then it says in Romans chapter 2 that God will render to each one according to his deeds. And when he does, it will be, it says, without partiality. You don't get a break because you're part of this family. You don't get a break because I know your cards got dealt a little tough in line. No breaks, no breaks without partiality. What did you do with Jesus? And is it just mental assent like the demons have? Or is it, yes, it's penetrated my heart and God, I desire hunger. I hunger and thirst after righteousness and I genuinely want to do what you want me to do. Sometimes I find myself not there, but, but you bring me back and you bring me to repentance. As in the days of Noah, not only do we see God's judgment of evil in the flood event, we also see his work of grace, and aren't we glad for that? Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. The entire world, only Noah and those who remained with him were alive. It was because of God's grace Chapter 6, verse 8. It wasn't because of this, but it was demonstrated by Noah's righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. He responded to God in faith. Noah's faith produced a good work. Noah's faith produced a good work. Noah's good work did not produce his faith. Don't get confused. We're not Noah. Our days are different than Noah. Our faith, like Noah's, should demonstrate good works. We're created in Christ unto good works. We know that. Ephesians chapter 10, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. While we might s seek to fool ourselves, 
with a secret thought thinking that if I do this or don't do this or act this way or don't act this way, it's probably going to earn me favor with God. Stop. God knows and it does not. Jesus is our favor with God. A genuine faith that produces good works. For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Noah would not have boasted in his spiritual effort. Paul, who wrote Ephesians chapter 2, would not have boasted in his spiritual effort. He knew it was a grace system from God. And you and I should not boast in our spiritual effort either. But friend, you who are here, who have never received Jesus... From a child, maybe you've come to church, but you've never gotten to the place where you've said, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, and I know that. And if God is pricking your heart, or no matter how religious you are and how many years and decades you've been coming to church, lay aside pride, you must be born again. As in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For, these, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We have the seven-day warning. Jesus said, watch, I'm coming. You don't know when, but I'm coming. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't believed, it would thrill me to believe today. I mean, this, right where you're at right now, you can jump up if you want to. You don't have to. I don't care. But just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for me, that he took my sin upon himself, and somehow, miraculously so, he gave me his righteousness. And I stand righteous before God. Because of Jesus. It's my only hope. It's your only hope. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. Amen?